coming up. They described it to us as uh, these three were, were a killing machine, uh, just going, wreaking havoc through the Houston area and, and taking so many lives. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. On the morning of August 8th, 1973, police were called out to 2020 Lamar Drive in Pasadena, Texas, where a man named Dean Coral had been shot to death. Dean Coral, the main suspect in all this, was uh, shot and killed by Elmer Wayne Henley, this house in Pasadena. We now know that Coral's killer was also one of his accomplices in a string of brutal killings known as the Houston Mass Murders. Once that investigation started rolling, it turned into something just more than a strictly a homicide. Elmer Wayne Henley confessed, along with another young man, David Brooks, to helping Dean Coral engineer a a long conspiracy of, of murder to kidnap young boys and kill them. Nearly 50 years later, investigators are launching new search efforts for additional victims. I think we've got the technology, I think we've got the knowledge, and uh, I think certainly we've got determination to, uh, let's hope we can find one. Marcelino Benito joins us from KHOU in Houston. Marcelino, to say this is a disturbing story is really an understatement. But before we get to the news here, let's start with the background. Who was Dean Coral? Well, Dean Coral was, frankly, one of America's most notorious uh, serial killers, uh, responsible for at least uh, 28 uh, deaths, 28 murders of young boys across the Houston area. This was back in the 70s in a three-year span. Um, They would abduct these boys. They would torture them. They would sexually abuse them and then murder them and, and bury their bodies. Uh, and so far, we know there's been 20, 28. And you said they. So so Dean Coral, as I know, had accomplices. Tell us about these other two men who were somehow involved in this. Yeah, Coral didn't work alone. He uh, interestingly worked with uh, two teenage accomplices, Elmer Wayne Henley, uh, who is now an older man who is serving out several life sentences uh, in prison here in the state of Texas. And then David Brooks was another teenage accomplice who died of COVID-19 um, last year while serving life sentences in, in prison. Uh, both of them were, were teenagers at the time that they helped Coral, and they were basically responsible mainly for luring these teenage boys, uh, these young men, to Coral um, so he could do the rest and, like I said earlier, torture, um, sexually abuse, and ultimately uh, kill uh, these young boys. And as you mentioned, there were dozens of victims. How long did this go on for? And how were Coral and these two accomplices able to get away with this for as long as they were? Well, we know the time span, well, we believe the time span, I should say, was between 1970 and 1973. This only came to light in 1973 after uh, Elmer Wayne Henley, the teenage accomplice of Dean Coral, uh, got into a fight with Coral and ended up uh, shooting and killing him. That homicide uh, that happened in Pasadena, Texas, uh, was investigated by Pasadena police, and ultimately all of this that had been going on for for three years came to light. Henley um, confessed to his role, uh, helped find many of these bodies, and sort of the pieces started to unravel, but only after um, Coral's own accomplice turned on him and, and killed him. That's when uh, we started learning more about these these victims and bodies were started to be discovered. 
Tell us a little bit more about this search back in the 70s for these victims as these dozens of, of bodies are discovered. What did the search look like? Well, the search, obviously, the technology was different back then. So from, from interviews I've just done in the last few days, it was a difficult effort to, to track down these bodies. Um, but we know that 17 alone, 17 bodies of young boys were found in 1973, shortly after uh, Coral was killed. And they were all found in one uh, central location out in South, uh, near South Houston. They were being kept in, in a shed. Uh, what's interesting is that's where the, this new, the news that's been being made now, we, that press conference that we attended earlier this week, that's where the press conference was held at the site where 17 of these 28 bodies were found in Houston. Which led them here to Silver Bell Street initially. I think there were 17 bodies found here. And then, of course, from there, it was at High Island. There were numerous bodies found along with up into Sam Rayburn Reservoir. There were more bodies found. I think there were a total of 28 bodies that were found. So the bodies were, were literally everywhere. And, and that's sort of leading uh, investigators who are going to start looking for more bodies uh, to know that they're going to be looking all over uh, Southeast Texas uh, because they do believe if there are more bodies, they, they could be anywhere um, in Southeast Texas. Let's talk a little bit more about that news you mentioned. You reported that the remains of as many as 20 additional boys could still be out there. Where does that number come from? That number is something we got from Texas EquiSearch founder uh, Tim Miller. You guys ask questions. I'll give answers if I got them. We've been working on this for a while. Uh, Texas EquiSearch is well-known uh, in, in Texas and really across the country as folks who go out there and search for missing people and also for for remains. Um, and so Tim Miller held this press conference alongside Pasadena Police Department. We know there's more bodies of young boys out there somewhere. I think we've got some idea of some certain areas that we're going to be uh, that we're going to be looking at. Uh, I think we've got some new technology uh Ground penetration units, we're going to be doing some things with and hoping maybe we can possibly find a few of these, a uh, few of the boys that are still missing out there, bring some type of closure to families. And they made the news that they would be resuming uh, the search for, for more of Coral's victims. I asked him the question at the press conference, well, how many, how many more people, how many more boys' bodies do you believe could be out there. And Tim Miller's uh, answer was he believes there are uh, up to 20. You know, that number could be as high as 20. And that comes from reading over uh, incident reports from conversations they've had with uh, detectives who worked the cases back then. It also, frankly, uh, comes from a lot of rumors. There's been a whole lot of rumors. There's a lot of high interest in this case throughout the years, especially here in Houston. Just a few days ago, I, I interviewed the uh, family spokesperson for one of the last uh, surviving parents of a, of a victim. They lost their 13-year-old son. They're, they're older now. They can't really uh, go on camera, but their family spokesperson did, well-known victims advocate here in Houston, and he mentioned... He was a part of the process to to kickstart this this new effort for uh, for a new search for for more remains of different victims. I've been privileged to be kind of made cognizant of what's been going on the last few months. So, you know, I shared my perspective that we have everything to gain and nothing to lose. There's always been rumors. There's always been talk of other victims. And he said just just a couple weeks ago over the last in a, over the last few months, he had received an anonymous letters 
uh, an anonymous phone call, one anonymous phone call from people with information um, about more victims um, and where to where to look for for more uh, bodies of of coral, coral victims. I've talked with people who were around during that time period who told me they're positive. There's more victims than the 28 that we now know. So I think finally we'll be able to put rumor to rest. Are there or aren't they? That's the good part of this. To think if there are as many as 20 additional victims, I mean, that's that's an astounding number. It's astounding to think that that many people could have been killed by this man and never found that their families could go you know, now 48 years without knowing what happened to them. Did Texas Echo Search give any specifics on what it will actually look like to kickstart this search again, where they might be searching, anything like that? Well, what's most interesting, you mentioned that 20, uh, that 20 victim, additional victim number that they, they mentioned that I reported. Um, Tim Miller told us that is a conservative estimate. Mm. Uh, they they actually believe it could be a lot more than 20. Uh he mentioned, I'm going to give you the number 20, but keep in mind, we, we do believe that is a very conservative estimate just with how um, how easy these, these serial killers got away with this. Uh, they described it to us as uh, these three were, were a killing machine. But keep in mind, these guys were a killing machine. I mean, you look at where we're at right now, it's pretty isolated. Take it back 48 years, how isolated this would have been way back in the day. And this guy would come out here and do his business, and for some reason he chose this... I understand that in the process before the officers uh, found this stuff, he was actually in the process of trying to rent another stall. So as we can determine just by that, that this killing was never going to stop until Emma Wayne Henley killed him. As to your question as to what this search will look like, uh, they didn't give a lot of specifics about um, when it will actually start. They told us uh, it will start soon. They won't be disclosing specific search locations, although they did mention that one of the first uh, places they'll be taking a look at will be uh, in Pasadena, Texas, near where Coral uh, was killed by Henley back in 1973. That's uh, due to some um, last-minute information that they've received uh, from from folks. Um, but the search uh, will also take them across 200 miles. Uh, that is what uh, Tim Miller told us. I mean, this thing could take us and, and probably will take us from here to Surfside to Port Arthur to Brodus, uh, you know, almost 200-mile radius in, in, uh, in well, 200-mile two mile distance in, in some areas. So this is, uh, this is not going to be an easy search. Uh, he told us he's not very optimistic that he can find any remains that Texas EquiSearch will be successful, but uh, it's worth trying if they can at least uh, bring comfort and and some sort of answers to uh, families um, who who still, after so long, after, as you mentioned, four decades, still don't know um, what happened to their their children or brothers, sisters. Am I going to say we're going to find anything? Probably chances are no, but we know if we don't do anything, then chances are zero. So. Um, you know, we're going to take a little risk, a little chance on some things. It's, uh, if we can find one of these victims, bring closure to families, one family, well, it's all worth it. So, again, we put a lot of work in this thing so far. And then when we got with Pasadena, it's like, let's join hands and let's see what we can do. You mentioned you've been in touch with a spokesperson for the family of one of the victims can you share a little bit more about what their story is and, and what this news has meant to them? 
Yeah, I'm talking about the Dremala family. Their uh, 13-year-old son, Stanton, was the last known victim, one of uh, uh, the last known victims killed by coral. So victim number 28. Uh, so this family has has been dealing with this pain for for a very, very long time. And uh, they're, they're a little older in age. As you mentioned, they're the last surviving parents um, still around. Uh, so their family spokesperson is speaking out on their behalf. And basically what, what he's telling us is that the family is paying close attention to this search. The news of this resumed search is bringing them a lot of hope. It's also resurfacing a whole lot of, of memories, but they are on board. They think it's definitely worth it for this search to continue because they know what that pain is like, the pain to lose a child. And they also can't imagine what that pain would be to not know. Uh, at least they know, you know, what happened to their son, Stanton. But uh, just thinking of so many families out there, maybe up to 20 families, who never got those answers, who never figured out where their child was, um, they think it's very important uh, to bring those answers, if possible, uh, to those families. They're encouraged by what they hear. And like everyone else, they're looking forward to see what becomes of this. So it's been a long, long journey as you can well imagine. As you mentioned, only one of the accomplices is still alive. Is there any hope of getting additional information from that person that could potentially help with this renewed search effort? There is a, a lot of hope, but uh, they don't know where that hope will, will lead. Tim Miller uh, has told us that he has sent a letter uh, to Henley in prison, asking, pleading him for pleading with him for help in tracking down uh, more bodies of these victims. Any other information that Henley could provide? In addition to Tim Miller, we do know the the family spokesperson I spoke with, uh, the victim advocate Andy Kahn, uh, who's been involved with this case since 1992, um, has also reached out to Henley. They do hope to sit down with him in prison if he's willing to see if he will at least talk to them and see what information they can glean from him. Uh, they believe he is the the key to finding more remains. If they're going to find more bodies, if they're going to have success in this new search, it's going to be um, through uh, Henley's help. That will just make it a whole lot easier. Well, I've been involved, you know, with a lot of stories involving serial killers that I never thought we had any chance of pinning other cases on them. Well, so... I, I believe in divine intervention. I believe things happen for a reason. So, you know, if we succeed with Henley, that's great. If we don't, it's not going to be for lack of effort. But at this point, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Marcelino Benito with KHOU in Houston. We'll be keeping an eye on your reporting. Thanks for sharing the story. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one, five days a week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever you're listening right now. If you're looking for more shows, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of all of our podcasts, including our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, and our newest series, Strangeville. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. Redmond.